right, as promised, uh, we are now going to our installment of the Midday Conversation African Insight uh, brought to us by Megazelle Mazibugo, our spectacular producer, Megazelle, that makes sure that uh, this installment of the show comes through to your ears from our headquarters in the Department of International Relations and Corporations at Ubuntu Radio. Uh, South Africa's Af- uh, diplomacy, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. I almost forgot a tagline there. I'll get myself fired. <laughs> um, our guest is on the line joining us there. Um, it goes by the name of Desiree Lissel, as I did mention earlier on. And we're going to talk about, just to expand, I think you remember a few weeks ago, we spoke to uh, one of the students of the Emerging Markets Programme, uh, I think it was, uh, I'll tell you the name now, but we spoke about at length around how he observed, uh, how he experienced the, the, U, uh, the United States as well as the Magic Markets Program. I think his name was Sidi Somufugeng, yes. Uh, we delved into his paper around what he was researching in. I think he, he had a focus in Thailand and uh, giving us tips and uh, those that are interested to invest in thailand of course can go to that podcast and check um, what are some of the issues there to think about and what are some of the considerations there and today is not different uh, someone at desiree as i said that is joining us online we're going to talk about uh those things but our interesting focus this time around is in the ethiopia uh those that know ethiopia it's one of the oldest uh, African countries. I think Desra argues that, uh, in fact, Ethiopia is uh, one as the only country um, in Africa that has not been colonized. We're going to talk about some of the issues that Desra observed uh, in uh, Ethiopia in as far as uh, political risk are concerned, and really trying to think about what are some of the great, uh, some of the things to think about uh, on the short, medium, and long term when you want to invest in Ethiopia. And that's the conversation we're going to have with Desiree, taking us through his experience, of course, uh, as well in New York. And this, uh, he wrote a paper as part of the program um, of the political risk to focus uh, on a particular country around the risk analysis. And his uh, country of choice, as I said, was Ethiopia. And, you know, again, what's some, what are some of the aspects that um, South Africa can draw from uh, the countries such as Ethiopia? And what can, uh, you know, lessons that we can draw vice versa. And so, I mean, vice versa that the Ethiopia can also draw from uh, from South Africa based on what Desiree is going to talk about. And uh, this, is, uh, some of the, this is one of the countries that is very strong in the production, manufacturing in particular. And I think coffee to be precise. What are some of the things that we definitely can uh, learn from a country such as Ethiopia? I'm not going to have this conversation by myself, of course. Uh, I'm joined on the line by Mr. Desiree Lesela, who is the CA, uh, that is a Chadena accountant in South Africa. Currently, he's pursuing a master's in finance and strategy, uh, financial management services at the University of Pretoria. He is the current, uh, as I said, currently completed his emerging markets and country risk analysis course uh, from the Fordham University in New York, uh, located at the Bronx. Uh, so yeah, you see here we are not taking chances. We're talking with uh, someone that knows his story, someone that uh, really is at a good place to us, advise us. And here yeah, he's talking is uh, someone who's a CA. Desiree is uh, it's on the line. And a uh, good uh, afternoon to you, Desiree. Good afternoon, Vusi. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for having me. Looking forward to engaging and going through the conversation regarding Ethiopia. It was exciting writing this paper. Uh, I'm ready to excited to share with the listeners my insights on it. That's good, man. I th- thank you so much again for for joining us. And you understand, you also won. You you and Tiriso and others went to New York for them. Was it this year around the May, right? Yes, yeah, we went this year. We left left uh, late May and returned somewhere late uh, in July. So I was I was together with Citizen and some of our uh, fellow South Africans during the program. You leave South Africa as a CASA. You come back as a CASA plus political risk analysis. How does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, I was. So when I left with a CA title, I just wanted to expand my thinking away from the numbers as well and just immerse myself into understanding the economical side of things. 
and political risk analysis was one of those and trying to understand what really happens in the emerging market. So it was quite an exciting time and different learning curve from the uh, standard CA programs and work that we do. So it was exciting for me to go and just adventure into something new. Mm-hmm. And I really had a great time. How different was this program um, that you have to look at emerging markets from uh, a traditional uh, learning program that we'd find in South Africa? Now, I think you're a finance strategy and financial management services student at the University of Pretoria. How would you compare the two academic offerings between this program of uh, emerging markets and country risk analysis by Fordham and the normal learning that we used to here in South Africa? Thanks for that question. So uh, just to compare it with the normal learning that we used in South Africa. So when we got to Fordham, when I got to Fordham, the exposure we got and the way the classes were delivered was a bit different in this context. So when we got to Fordham, the guys who were doing the classes, the guy who was teaching us political risk, Mr. Potter, he is a sort of a, a practicing professor, someone who runs his own company, someone who writes papers for different investment house on political risk of different companies. So learning from someone who does this as their daily job and does this from a deep passion and also with wealth of knowledge of doing this with different countries and doing this on a daily basis, that was very insightful and easy to draw those lessons from. And bringing it home where, not to sound really unappreciative of our, of our education, most of the time we tend to receive information that is exactly as it is from the textbook. All right. Without any source or any detail of application from the real world. So with a political risk, learning it from someone who apply it. So would get to class, he would just come to class and just project news that happened for the day and mm. we just engage on what we think on that uh, economic item that happened on the news floor in a specific country. It becomes easy and more joyful to learn that way. And like just getting in class and having slides that reiterate what's in the textbook. So that's, that was a different learning and I found the forum exposure more in more more engaging and more interesting and looking forward to go to class because you're going to engage more and like just receive information. Like, uh, you know, getting to a lecture hall and they teach you, they pull up slides that they prepared three years ago when they were teaching someone the same course. So I think yeah. I understand where you're coming from. And uh, yeah, I met, I had a privilege of sitting in a class that uh, Jeff uh, was, was teaching and uh, he's quite uh, very uh, thoughtful. Um, you think you're having a conversation with him and that, that's the learning, yeah. really. That's, uh, that's how uh, he'd conduct his teaching. And uh, most of us really found it quite shocking. But when you reflect on it, it's quite fascinating. And I think we, could, we can learn a lot from it. Yes, we can really learn a lot from that type of teaching. Was this the first time being exposed to the U.S. education or I mean, even flying out of the country to, the, to, the, to New York? Uh, yes, it was my first time being exposed to the New York education system. Mm-hmm. And, but it was not my first time flying out of the country, but it was my first time going to, actually going to New York. But I've been out of the country before, but it was not going to New York. Oh, that's good, man. Uh, and uh, how, how did you find now that it's your first time in New York, you land at JFK and uh, I was saying to Tzili so the other day that probably the first thing you expected was those movie scenes, uh, you know, <laughs> things that you always watched on the, those uh, um, Hollywood movies and, and stuff. What was your experience and the first impression of, uh, of New York? So, uh, so we land, we get to JFK, First thing, like you're saying, I'm expecting to see those scenes in the movies. I get there, I look around, I have my neck. This is a bit painting because I'm just looking all over the sky, like a, <laughs> a, new, a new place. That was me. But when we drove out of the airport, started to see the yellow cab, it hit home and, oh, you actually are in New York. Mm. <laughs> those, those are the cars that we usually see in movies and it hits home. 
then eventually when we drive in, we start to see the tall buildings and it starts sinking in or actually it's not just a dream i'm actually here yeah and this is like i, I would say for that drive to get to the bronx literally i just i had my my neck even in pain because i was just looking all over mm. just taking it moment that was really a, a thrilling experience to as well to look at the infrastructure that side because when we essay we tend to bash our infrastructure and when you get that side to see their infrastructure and at some point i was like mm, maybe i should be more kind to our south african infrastructure the roads the, the, the traffic lights and how how things are structured so all those at first were a bit like uh a shock to me in a more of an interest as well because i was just looking around fascinated by the place mm. or the actual stop at the invest uh that's fascinating and i think it happens to uh most of us when we visit a foreign country especially for the first time you're like what on hell um excuse the word but where on hell am i here <laughs> and you realize that in fact you are in a small heaven uh, in a sense that yeah. it's a country that it, it shows you things you've never seen, uh, big buildings and, and everything. So I'm glad you enjoyed the experience and uh, that, that went well for you. Yeah, and listen, so the, the, the other part is now you get into the car, they're driving on the left side. Hey. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I to finally get used to it was a bit of a... a, a a shock at times because I'm like, okay, are we not driving on the wrong lane at some point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not in South Africa. Yeah. All right. That's uh, Desiree, uh, Desiree Lisele, um, who's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Desiree Lisele, who's a CASA and currently pursuing his master's in finance strategy and financial management services at the University of Pretoria. And he's recently completed his emerging markets and country risk analysis course from the Fordham University in New York. We're going to pay our bills when we return. We're going to con- we'll continue our conversation with Desiree and we delve into the details around the interesting things he found when he did a research in Ethiopia. Communicating the narrative of a changing global order. Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio. Are you planning to travel outside South Africa soon on business or for leisure? When planning a visit abroad, South African citizens should take time to learn about the financial, political, cultural and economic environment of their intended destination. This message was brought to you by Ubuntu Radio in partnership with Doko Consular Services. Ubuntu Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. Welcome back. This is uh, still the midday conversation with myself, Vusi Maupa, uh, on the beautiful Friday afternoon where we're having a conversation, a nice conversation, I should emphasize, with uh, Desiree Lisele, who's the CA and uh, also a student at the University of Pretoria. Currently, uh, he did uh, just return from the New York for, to complete his course, uh, the Emerging Markets and Country Risk Analysis. One of the things that Desiree did when he was there, among the many things, interesting things that he did, was to um, produce a paper as part of the academic requirements uh, to um, assess a country of his choice. Uh, in this instance, while it, it is Ethiopia, where he looked at some of the risks that are embedded in Ethiopia uh, and uh, you know what should we think about and how should we think about approaching investment in Ethiopia. And he observed that Ethiopia remains the main engine of economic growth in East Africa. That was the paper, the title of his paper. Desiree, what inspired you out of all the 54, 55 countries in Africa? Why Ethiopia? Thanks, Wissi. Why, why, why Ethiopia and why the African continent, right? Yeah. As well. Uh, the interest in Ethiopia started a while ago. So in 2017, I had an opportunity to, to tra- travel into the UK, but had a, a connecting with, uh, in Ethiopia. So through that uh, layover, I, spent, I went out of the airport. I spent about two days there. And I went to the African Union, the AU, and we were driving around and just seeing the city, Addis Ababa, or anywhere far. So while driving around, 
I started seeing this, as you know, it was my first time living in South Africa then. I'm in a new different country and I'm seeing this country has people who are genuinely, when you speak to them, they're very humble. They're willing to engage. They're willing to try the language even if they can't hear English, English, but they're willing to try and help you when you require direction or something. So, and while we're driving around, I see this new infrastructure coming up and that was written in Chinese. Mm. And I started paying attention into Ethiopia from then. I started, started being fascinated into Ethiopia from then. Then I started paying attention even on my YouTube profile. I'll go and just say Ethiopia, read on the WhatsApp, and then listen on what's happening in that country. Whenever I see a report on Ethiopia, I'll just get fascinated because from there, I felt like I could relate. I've seen what happened, how the country looks like, how the people are like. Then from there, I just draw sort of interest into Ethiopia. Mm. Fast forward, Ed, what made me really choose Ethiopia was, while I'm continuously paying attention to it, reading, the, the recent war that took place for about two years, there was a war from uh, 2020 to last year, right. November, the Green War. When that happened, and I had an opportunity to write a paper about the country, I was like, why not choose Ethiopia? That's mm-hmm. why I went for Ethiopia. And I wanted to understand, post the war and the peace agreement that's recently reached, can I say recently? Yeah, it's still a bit recent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would be the investment uh, outlook be like post the, the war? That's what made me really, really choose Ethiopia, me being in there, me seeing how the people are there, seeing the infrastructure, being able to get an opportunity to go to the EU and the recent war. And again, when I was consciously reading, I'm seeing that Ethiopia is rich with agriculture mm-hmm. and we are also have a very fertile soil. And also Ethiopia is rich with history. As South Africa, we're rich with history. Yeah. And we reach South Africa, we reach with a lot of landmarks, heritage side. Ethiopia is rich with that. Mm. What makes us different to them? So, going into this paper, I had that deep interest in trying to understand what makes them different to us and what are the investment outlook with Ethiopia. Uh, I think I've lost Desiree there. Desiree, are you still with me? Uh, I'm still with you, Vus. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yes, go ahead. Oh, where did you lose me? <laughs> um, you, you, were, you were nicely laying out the history of uh, how Ethiopia's history is beautiful. And uh, no. yeah, in South Africa also possesses its good assets. Uh, but I, th- I think we got a gist of that. Um, I, I think we got a gist of that, Desiree. And, and tell you what, you, you're, now you're choosing not only Ethiopia, but you want to understand Ethiopia's political risk right i mean you've been there you've uh, spoke to people you know they're nice uh, you have uh, been to au it's a good decent um, uh, architectural building and a nice place you, you've seen all these beautiful things there in ethiopia but now you have to assess this political risk what in your mind or in your own understanding if you had to revisit uh, political risk uh, uh, definition in a context of what you've uh, studied so far Okay, thanks for that. So, uh, political risk has many different definitions and it goes with what the person is trying to achieve. And over time, the definition has evolved. But specifically for this paper, I looked at political risk in a form of if you are an investor investing in a country, what could be those hurdles? that can make you not be able to extract your investment, which are driven by political challenges or political changes, political decisions, political events in a form of maybe riots, civil wars, and instability in that country. So in my paper, I look at political risk in a form of those political instabilities can, that can influence an investor not be not to be able to extract the full potential uh, return from that specific country. Right. That's 
by the police cadres in my approach into pen sending down this paper. Now, talking about influence, uh, you know, it's risky to be influenced, as you say, by, you know, external factors and, and so forth. But Ethiopia seems like, and in your paper, I think you do allude to that, that it gets a bit, uh, most of its resources from the donors and IMF, that's the International Monetary Fund. Um, how, how important are these uh, institutions, uh, multilateral, multilateral institutions, uh, in supporting uh, Ethiopia's, um, you know, economic outlook? Thanks, uh, So all these stakeholders, as I will name them, they are very important into helping Ethiopia emerge from the situation that they are in now. So like you mentioned, the IMF, currently Ethiopia is in a process of requesting for financial assistance from the IMF. Mm. And uh, the downside, if they don't manage to get that funding, is they'll be at a default risk, which will put the country in a very bad uh, dead state. So it's very important for Ethiopia to build a good relation with the different uh, stakeholders to ensure their growth and their reform implica- uh, application. So if I were to touch down, especially with the IMF one, I've penciled it down in, the, in my paper. Currently, Ethiopia has about two big projects that are happening. The first one is the reassessment dam, and the second one is the belt and, uh, belt and road uh, initiative. So all those two initiatives, they require a huge funding. And those two initiatives has a potential of reforming Ethiopia and making it a more of an investment house. So building this relationship, relationship with the IMF, the World Bank, and again, being able to be within the, the, the trade, trade partners as well, that will enhance their applications of the reforms. Let, let's turn to the other side of the coin. I mean, that's a, those are beautiful things, Desiree, as you say. It, it helps it to, um, you know, avoid some of the defaults, uh, you know, the, the, the default risks, and it also helps it to, to boost its, um, you know, infrastructure, as, as you rightly put it. Wouldn't being reliant on IMF, uh, in particular, be a political risk in a sense that uh, you know, some would argue that these multilateral institutions would often come with conditionalities that makes it a bit of a t- tricky. I don't want to use the word difficult, but tricky for you to uh, manage your affairs as a sovereign, uh, as a sovereign state. Thanks, Rosie. Yeah, true, true. It becomes a a very difficult a dialing point. That's sort of a catch twenty two. Because, like you say, others argue that the more you are inclined to those institutions, the more they want something from you as well. And we've seen it in some of our African countries. But what I'm trying to point is building those relationships with those institutions can as well enhance the betterness of the, the applications of the policies and structural reforms. Going back to Ethiopia as well, there's a somewhere in the paper where I wrote. Ethiopia currently has a, a huge dependency on China. So China does a lot of investment into Ethiopia. And that as well becomes a political risk because they've got a high dependency on China. And while that becomes a high dependency risk and a political risk, we have the U.S. that is causing a rift with Ethiopia that goes and say, why majority of your investment are from China? We also want to invest in that. So it's creating sort of a political rift between the two, between the three countries, because all of them want to participate in the resources that are within Ethiopia. Right. And it goes back to your point to say, how do we balance the relationship? In my opinion, I of the stand that you need these parties. However, you need to have a structural a structured agreement and know how much of your resources can they use and how much of your resources still belong to the people within the country and how much of the resources belong to the state. So mm-hmm. it's about balancing it in between. You know, when you bring China into the picture, those are, you know, bilateral uh, relations and now there's a conflict, as you argue, around the USA 
at the United States of America. And embedded into that is the IMF support and the donors. What, what's the take on Ethiopia's agriculture, agricultural sector? Because it, I think it's one of the most, it's the biggest sector in their economy. How important is this uh, um, sector for, for, for the country that is Ethiopia to gain, um, you know, economic independence so that it becomes more an independent state in as far as economy uh, the trades and, and other um, um, external influences are concerned. What, how, what are you seeing there on the ground in as far as this sector is concerned? Uh, thanks, Mr. So, uh, like you mentioned, you, you hit it on the nail there. Uh, agriculture is the biggest sector in Ethiopia. It employs about two-thirds of the population. Right. And again, you could contributes up close to about 31, 31 to 32% of the GDP, uh, Ethiopian GDP. So those are like big numbers and a huge driving factor into the economy. And your question is to say, how do we ensure that the agriculture of Ethiopia goes ahead and flourish without uh, and gains independence? It's a, it's a tricky one because in this case, Ethiopia still needs more of investments, right? And those investments will come from your legs of China, legs of IMF. And to that, to be able to grow the agriculture, those stakeholders would want something in return. But moving forward, what I've seen, and those are the developments that are happening in Ethiopia, and this would likely to enhance the agriculture side, is that the that the initiative that is happening with the reassessment dam, which is likely to provide more availability of water mm-hmm. and again to provide hydrogen power in order to support some of the farm. That is likely to increase the agriculture productivity in future. And again, when the, the, the Russia and Ukraine war happened, what we've seen is Ethiopia has moved into a more of production space. So they've managed to start production factories that can provide, that can produce fertilizers to feed uh, the agriculture space. So net-net, I might be a bit bullish on this view. I think the agriculture space for Ethiopia is looking positive in the long term given the current uh, outlook and how and the initiatives, initiatives that are on the pipeline. And, and the risk associated with that, uh, you know, should, you know, God forbid, be any um, uh, natural disaster that affects the production of agriculture. Do you think, you know, we, they could consider that culture, that uh, sector, I mean, I beg your pardon, that sector as, as, as a, one of the key or... Put differently, is it safe for a country such as Ethiopia to have a large reliance? I mean, did you want to take two percent of employment there um, in agriculture? Is it good for them to have a, a large reliance on, on such a volatile sectors uh, such as agriculture? Uh, it's a trick one again. So, one of the risk, the key risks that I've highlighted in my paper is depending on the agriculture side, and I've highlighted the risk of potential, the downsides and the potential chances of a drought. A drought, I mean. Yeah. Is it that highly dependent on this sector? And let's take it as a drought. So they will face a huge uh, economic shock due to that. And there's no easy answer to answer you to say, is it good for them to be dependent on this? or not, but I would say they need to diversify towards some of their uh, other potential uh, uh, economic uh, production factors. Well, but if you look at it, magnet, right, Ethiopia has, has the, I think, the second largest population after Nigeria in Africa. Right. Yeah. If you look at it that way, having a large population such as that, it gives you a positive towards that you got uh, 
low, I don't want to say cheap labor, but <laughs> low wages. Yeah. So, so that allows Ethiopia to, to be seen as a center of production. And this is what we see, a potential move, and as Ethiopia st- starts to open gates for foreign investment, we are anticipating sort of a more a flagship of uh, factories and manufacturing of interest moving into Ethiopia due to, to low wages and the post-chaining of Ethiopia. If you see, Ethiopia is currently is on, is on the horn of Africa, and that allows them to have sort of an outer reach to the different ports and the different countries. So mm-hmm. I think that likely we've seen attraction into the manufacturing space, so due to that cheap labor. So your question, reliance on agriculture, yes, there are lines there, but they need to diversify that into see that shift in that manufacturing into that production due to leveraging on the cheap labor. You argue here, Desiree, the Prime Minister Ahmed uh, and, the, uh, and his ruling party that are likely to face a very difficult political environment given they are the fragile peace deal with the I think it's uh, it's Tangray. Uh, you you correct me here of the of the, on the pronunciation. Yeah. But what what are your assessment of that in terms of the short uh, medium term? Uh, so this, maybe let me just start with the context of the Tangray war, how it came about. Then I'll lead to your answer. Right. Go, go ahead. So uh, in twenty in the uh, the, uh, the prime minister took power, and uh, the Tangray where they felt like they were marginally and uh, was unfair to them because they've been in power for about 30 years. You know, this our African countries tend to remain in power for long and when the new party takes over, it becomes a war. Mm. That's what led. A first, the war took place, about, took place for two years. Last year, November, the peace deal was signed between the two. And there is enough penciling that they're likely to face difficult chances. In a short term, the, the question remains, is the, pure, the peace deal going to remain effective and for how Because the Ara, the Tigran guys, they've signed the peace deal, but they were not truly happy with, their, with them not being in power anymore and having to allow the federal uh, to, to lead them. So that's why I'm saying they're likely to face difficult times in, in the short term. And if you look at it in the medium term as well, we move into more now that Prime Minister has power and he's of a person who's trying to open up a foreign investment, come up with new reforms, new policies that allows Ethiopia to be more of an easy trade partner. So in the medium term, that looks positive, but uh, the Tigrins um, are likely as well to continuously fighting or challenging on those, signing those reforms and actual implementations of those reforms. In the long term, how I'm looking at the political risk as well, I'm, I'm saying that in the long term, given that the Tigrins are more comfortable with the reforms, they are more comfortable with being allowed them to leave them, to lead them. That is likely to lead to a more positive outlook because we're likely to see more of some of the stuff that he has penciled down into in his home ground economic reform agenda, which is, is penciled down to say in his reforms is likely to focus on private 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 making the opening up for private investments, currency stabilizations and debt sustainability. And if, if, if the people support him on that in the long term, that will give us a more positive outlook on Ethiopia. That is uh, Mr. Desri, uh, Desri Lesele, CASA, and a student at the University of Pretoria, currently uh, returned from the Fordham University from the program called Emerging Markets and Country Risk Analysis. Uh, we are in conversation with him, of course, and we'll continue this conversation on the other side of this. Wouldn't you like to explore a country where two worlds intersect, where first world infrastructure meets an emerging market, where diversity is celebrated through its people and its sectors? 
where one of the most powerful economies in Africa embraces new opportunities, where science and technology enjoy rapid advancement, a land where innovation creates a dynamic environment for growth. The world's leader in mining and minerals, with nearly 90% of all the platinum metals on Earth and around 41% of all the world's gold. Home to 11 Nobel Peace Prize winners. And with the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Africa. It is one of only two countries in the world to have hosted three different World Cups, where a market of almost 60 million people provide you with the perfect springboard to access a continent of 1.3 billion people. It's where the impossible is made possible. Welcome to South Africa, a land of endless possibilities. A truly inspiring country. Welcome to the future. Invest in South Africa. Powered by Brand South Africa. Hi, this is Nduma Filola, and you're listening to Ubuntu Radio. This, this is Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio. A product of the Department of International Relations and Corporation South Africa. Welcome back to the Midday Conversation with myself, Vusimaupa. On the line, we are still with Desre Kutzolisele, uh, whichever way you prefer, what do you, uh, name you prefer to use uh, in this uh, instance, we'll go with Desre. And uh, thank you so much for staying with us. If you're listening to us online, that is uh, ubunturadio.com, or if you are tuned in via DSTV channel 3.8, we appreciate your ear, and thank you for letting us that ear. And uh, we are highly appreciative, as we always do. And with this, we're talking about a case of Ethiopia and how important it is when it comes to um, investment. And he did some analysis of the country risk uh, or analysis of risk in Ethiopia. Uh, there. Uh, thank you for staying with us, Desiree. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me you're most welcome, sir. Um, I want you to reflect a bit on uh, what you call the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think you make a case around the um, scenario-based uh, analysis on Ethiopia. And uh, I think this could be some of your main findings. I, I guess I'm asking you around some of your main findings, but in a sense of a scenario analysis, what are some of the good uh, the bad and the ugly, just in, if you could uh, quickly summarize it uh, to to us. Thanks, Wissi. So I'm just, yeah, I'll summarize that here. So in in doing a scenario-based analysis, which some of my favorite things that I enjoy doing, so I looked at the good, bad, and the ugly, and on the good is where I'm focusing to say, given the current things that are happening in Ethiopia, if this was to happen, as a good thing, what would be the impact of it? On the bad, I'm saying if this happens as a bad thing in Ethiopia, what would be the impact? And the ugly, I'm saying if the worst case scenario this happens, what would be the key thing? And you'll see some of the stuff relates to what we have already spoken about. So on the good, I'm saying if Ethiopia manages to secure the funding from IMF, this will be a very positive and a good move. And the reason I'm saying that is through this, they'll be able to fund the initiatives that they are currently having, and those initiatives will bring more of a positive outlook into Ethiopia. And secondly, on the good as well, I give recommendations to say companies that are planning to invest in Ethiopia, they need to be aware of chance of a default by the government if they don't get the funding. And again, on the positive, if they do get the funding, they need to look at the positive to say, maybe if you're looking into going into agriculture, if they get a funding to ensure that the rates assessment them is proper, is working, then in a good space, you know you have a backup. If you look at the bad, I'm saying, let's just say, uh, bad situation happens, the, the peace deal fails or collapse. Mm. What would that means we go back, Ethiopia will continue to have a war, or the Tigrin guys will continue fighting the federal. Mm. Then that would be a bad state because meaning that all investors as well will need to be cautious of that to say, 
let's say the priest there, something goes wrong, they no longer head into the agreement. This will impact my investment in which way. So if you go into Ethiopia as an investor, you need to be wary of that. Right. Lastly, the, the ugly part is where we spoke about it. I'm saying uh, Ethiopia is highly dependent on the agriculture. And agriculture has what we call mother nature weather condition. Mm. And again, that uh, uh, Ethiopia is it, currently struggling to find enough skilled individuals locally within their country. So on that, I'm saying worst case scenario. Let's say now they have drought. Yeah. The weather doesn't about agriculture. That for that period or for that year, they'll have a very horrible, horrible, sad year, and the majority of their people will suffer due to them being highly employed within the agriculture space. So that's how I'm looking at it. And on the skill side, Ethiopia is at a fast pace that is growing. It's failing to produce more qualified individuals to feed into the different sectors, either your banking, manufacturing, or even in agriculture itself, because they're still more reliant on your rural farming. So if you are an investor and trying to tap into a token market and you're looking for that homebrew coffee that they export so much, you need to consider that there's high chances of the uh, weather conditions not being stable and not favoring you, mm-hmm. and high chances of more expensive gear or expertise that contribute to shortage of skilled labor. Those are the three base case scenarios that, are, like, uh, scenario based analysis that I'm putting forward to say, if you're an investor, consider this as the recommendations. In my paper, I've got that pencil down. Great. And, and talking about investors, you mentioned also in your paper that Ethiopia is a silver lining uh, for investors. May, may you please briefly explain what that means and uh, how did you come up with that conclusion? I suppose it finds um, expression in the scenarios that you've painted to us. Uh, so, for you see, I, I wrote it uh, uh, boldly that say Ethiopia and uh, remains as investor silver, li- silver lining in the long term, and this links well with the title of my paper to say Ethiopia remains the main engine of economic growth in East Africa. So, why that bold statement? And fellow analysts will find me here to say you're taking a very bullish. Uh, statement. I'm looking at this in a long term, in a sense, I'm looking at from uh, seven years to 15 years from now to say, yeah. if all the best, the peace deal goes well and everyone is following and everyone is appreciative of the initiative that the Prime Minister is coming with. And secondly, last year they came out with a draft statement to say they are looking into opening the, the banking sector to the private Currently, the banking sector is owned by the government, and they're thinking of opening to the private sector. And what that will do will make a huge shift to the economy of Ethiopia. Because if they open the banking sector to the private, meaning our African banks and other international banks will be able to start their own banks in Ethiopia, and that will be a set, sort of a vehicle to bring investments and bring infrastructure into that country, because there will be sort of a bank that they other investors will trust as a vehicle to uh, facilitate the investment in that country. That would be a massive move. And they've already issued a public draft statement on that. Thirdly, to say, they are thinking of, uh, this one, I think they're on working on it, opening up their telecom to public, public sectors and private sector as well, which that will allow a channel of communication, internet connection, and that will bring more communications and more advancements into the population of Ethiopia. And again, with China continuously investing into infrastructure in Ethiopia and building, while I was there, some of the majority of the new buildings that were coming through were having a, a Chinese logo. So looking at all those and looking at the two initiatives as well, the, the dam and the road one, those ones, if, if they secure funding and the uh, peace they'll maintain, this will be a proper silver lining in the long term. And secondly, on the positive side as well, uh, they're looking at uh, readmitting 
Ethiopia into the African Growth and Opportunity Act. Right. And this will also open up that trade flow. And uh, more interesting, something just to add to, to enhance and strengthen the case of silver lining here. When I wrote the paper, I was not even, it was before the announcement that Ethiopia would be added into the Brexit. Mm. And now with the, them being added there, just allows them to that freedom of a free trade. It enhances the case that I'm putting in. Investors, when you consider Africa, please consider Ethiopia. In the long term, this is an untapped market. Yeah. And if you go into Italia and you go into it at the right time, with the right reform set with a new prime minister, this could be a huge return for you as a company or as an investor tipping into the Ethiopian market. Is there a case of comparison of comparison between Ethiopia and South Africa for in as far as political risk forecast are concerned? Uh, yes, there's a couple of things, but uh, okay, let me explain it this way first. Ethiopia is still on an emerging okay, both South Africa and Ethiopia are getting as emerging country. Correct. But Ethiopia on the start of restructuring their policies, their reforms, and their uh, regulations, their legislation, and how to go ahead into allowing foreign investment. They are still at that emphasis stage, right? When you come to South Africa, we have those embedded. And you'll agree with me, Vosia, we're good with writing those legislation. Correct. Good with writing. Correct. Good with setting up those symposia. Good with setting up those committees. But the bigger issue we have in South Africa is implementation of those. Mm. While in Ethiopia, they're still on the drafting while they haven't gotten, part, gotten yet to the implementation. So doing a comparison between them, there are common things that are there. Uh, the, the Ethiopia as well is suffering from blackouts, as we commonly make it famous to be load shedding. Ethiopia yeah. has those issues as well, and we have those. And those as well, they're inherent from political applications of some of the reforms and not allowing investments into those structures. So those are some of the similarities, but to compare them one-to-one is not easy. And if in the EIU report, how they rate them, they'll They've got a rating of different categories, which don't rate South Africa political risk as about two, which is like not that bad. Ethiopia political risk at a four, which is like not bad, but much more inherent risk into their political risk as well. So, yeah, you can compare them, but South Africa is far from that. And Vusi, I think. As well, you 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 can come in there as well and just make you know you've traveled and you've seen as much as we we tend to look at the political sphere of South Africa and complain most of the time. But whenever you outside South Africa and you return back, you tend to appreciate South Africa more. Mm, that's correct. That's and, true. And they do like actually. We do have issues, but I rather most of the time spend my time here. So <laughs> it's the biggest thing. Look at political risk for South Africa. The biggest concern now is the elections that are taking place next year. So uh, analysts are more concerned with the uh, uncertainties of next year's elections. Yeah. While Ethiopia, the elections, they're not on the edge of worrying about elections. They're on the edge of drafting their reforms and policies. Mm, that's, that's a good one. And uh, I think you make a good case around the different stages at which can- both countries are at. And uh, whilst one is uh, have all these nice policies and documents, agreements, uh, whatever you name them, uh, but we're still lacking uh, when it comes to implementation. Some of those policies date back as far as 1994, 1998. Uh, Ethiopia is still drafting, but uh, I mean, it's doing fairly well um, uh, compared to, to most of the countries in the continent. And uh, yeah, my final question to you, uh, Desra, is is um, should one invest if if I'm an investor sitting with a, a, some surpluses in cash, um, should I invest in Ethiopia or not? Uh, okay. Yes, you should. 
answering it on a black skin. <laughs> yes. Like I said, I'm a bullish, more of an optimistic person into writing my papers as well. But if you, I've got it as well on my paper where I say invest in Ethiopia, in Ethiopia or not invest. And in there, I put reference to some of the rating agencies, your Standard & Poor, Moody's, Fitch, Credit Ratings. All of them are giving a negative outlook towards Ethiopia. And their ratings, mostly their terms within the short term. But if you consciously read on Ethiopia and read what other economists are saying, they, they are regarded as the fastest growing economy in the last 15 years in Africa. And that could tell that maybe this is just untapped market. If those reforms, if, if Ethiopia opens up to private investment, especially the banking sector, we'll see a huge shift and huge change in that country. Mm. And give it a courage paper. So, yes, invest in Ethiopia in a, with a long term investment. But if you want your returns in like six months, eight months, no, don't, because you're not going to get those returns. That. And that's the voice of uh, Desre Kuto Lisele, uh, who's uh, joining us online, talking investment and political risks issues pertaining to. Uh, Ethiopia and he did, uh, did a nice cover uh, study of political risk analysis there. If you miss this conversation, you can catch it on the podcast. Um, I think you can search for Ubuntu Radio ZA. Uh, myself, Vusi Maupa, uh, in uh, LinkedIn in particular, will be able to share those details of uh, this conversation. And uh, thank you so much, Tezre, for your time and engaging with us on this critical issue uh, that is affecting everyone in the continent. Uh, Ethiopia in particular and investors that are, are investing there um, in the country. We highly appreciate your time, sir. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It was, it was very uh, insightful engaging with you and uh, provoking questions that you're putting up there. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're most welcome, Desra. Uh, how, how do people get in touch with you, those that like to pick up this conversation further beyond this platform? Um, um, your people could find me on LinkedIn. My uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Desri Lesele. And again, uh, yeah, that's LinkedIn. On Instagram, is Kuto Lesele. And I, I'm not on Facebook. I don't remember last time I was on Facebook. <laughs> and, Is that a good or bad yeah, thing? That, that, <laughs> those are the, the channels. LinkedIn, more easy to get hold of me and I'll be willing to share the paper for those who want to read further and engage and question some of my uh, bullish outlook on Ethiopia and I'd really love to engage and get those uh, those who challenge my views and show me different perspectives on it. Most definitely go and engage with Desra there. Uh, I wanted to check if uh, your decision to stay out of Facebook is it a good or bad thing as a, as a bullish analyst? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was just a uh, uh, the, the social the socials became a lot. Then I had to make a call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to make a call, but with which was not to just not really. I don't really think hard about it in form of a return, as I would do with analysis and investments. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice of Desra Kutsalisela. There, go ahead and engage with him. He's available on LinkedIn in particular. Uh, if you want to pick up his thoughts. I challenge some of his, uh, as he says, an inverted commas, bullish analysis. Uh, be so kind and engage with him there. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll share the podcast. And I'm sure he'll also distribute it in his uh, social platforms. Uh, do uh, engage with him there. Uh, thank you so much, Desra. Once again, uh, we're going to uh, hope to chat with you soon uh, on more interesting engagements and analysis that you put forth. Thanks, Thanks for having me. This is great engaging with you, man. Thanks. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Desra. 